jump into God's Word this morning. Um, number one, I did not say anything along the lines of what Miss Deborah just said, and um, I did not agree with her when she <laughs> said what she said. My mouth stayed closed, and I did it not in agreement. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, um, that was all her. <laughs> um, I just want to just just want to make sure you you understood that. And then another thing, I want to correct something that I said in my prayer just a minute ago. Um, always, so it's a high responsibility to speak truths about God's word or to, about God and to attempt to do things. And I, I misspoke in my prayer a few minutes ago about death as I was praying for um, the family of Miss Faith. Um, and I, I realized after I said it, what I said, I, I mentioned um, Miss Faith's loss. And, excuse me. Um, there's no loss for Miss Faith today. Um, it's a loss for her family. Um, her physical presence is not with them anymore. But um, God's Word tells us that death is gain for all who are in Christ. And I meant to say Miss Faye's passing um, or her death, not her loss, because there's no loss in death for those who are in Christ. And so just wanted to um, correct my words there. Uh, we want God to receive the honor and the glory that he is worthy of, even in death, because he sent his son to rescue us so that death would be actually gained um, because of what he did on the cross and through his resurrection. So I just wanted to make that uh, correction and um in my prayer from a few minutes ago. If you have your copy of God's Word, I hope you do. I invite you to open up to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 is where we'll be today. There's three short but very important verses in this letter that Paul is writing to the believers in the region of Galatia. Believers who have, have faced false teaching, faced people who have come in and have said that Trusting in Jesus is not enough to save you from your sins. And we know from God's word uh, that that is a lie, that trusting in Jesus is enough to save us from our sin. In fact, that's the only way that you or I or anyone in this world could be rescued from their sin is through placing our faith and trust in Jesus. And we've seen a theme of freedom throughout, especially um, the latter part of this letter, really beginning in chapter 4, verse 21, as Paul began to unpack this, this uh, idea of slavery under the law versus freedom from the law. And this theme of freedom ha has been running from chapter 4, verse 21, all the way through our passage today, where we see in verse 13, uh, Paul say, for you are called to freedom, brothers. And so as we think about this idea of freedom, it really uh, tracks right along with Paul's goal in this letter of helping the believers here in the region of Galatia to understand that salvation is through faith alone. That it really is that we are freed from the burden of the law. Just imagine for a moment if the only way that you could be justified before God, the only way that you could have a right standing before God is if you were good enough. If you met God's standard of perfection. That's a life of slavery, a life of slavery under the law because of sin in our hearts. It's not that the law is bad, is that the fact is that we are bad and we can't keep God's law perfectly. And so any attempt on our part to try to earn our way to heaven, it's a miserable life of bondage to the law. But in fact, Christ came to set us free from that kind of lifestyle. 
He came to set us free from, from our attempts to earn God's love. In fact, as Jesus hung on the cross, it was God loving us in spite of our sin. That we love because He first loved us, God's Word says. And so we are continuing with this, with this call to freedom, this gospel freedom. Freedom that we have through the good news of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that we've been called to the right family. And we've been called to confidence. And we've been called to stand firm in this freedom. We've been called to stay the course. Today, in verses 13 through 15, Paul is going to call us to lovingly serve. There's a call to lovingly serve. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we see theological truth meet theological practice. Paul's been spending a lot of time in this letter making sure we believe the right things, making sure we understand the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is only one gospel and any other gospel is no gospel at all. Lots of ways that he's been doing that, from his own experiences with the Galatians, from his explaining Old Testament scripture to us, he's been helping us believe the right things. But believing the right thing is not all there is to being a Christian, to the Christian life, to being free in Christ. In fact, what we believe should impact and does impact how we live. And so if we are believing the right things about God, then we will live the right way before God. Theological truths meet theological practice here in verses 13 through 15. Right doctrine leads to right living. It matters how you and I live our lives. One other thing before we read these three verses and, um, and see what God has for us in these verses today. We're going to read the word freedom a couple of times in this passage, just as we've been reading in, in, in Galatians, this word freedom. And especially on a Sunday like today, where it is so close to the 4th of July, we need to be very, very careful that we don't confuse what kind of freedom Paul is talking about. Paul is not referring to political freedom here in this world. It's not that that is a bad thing. That's just not the kind of freedom that Paul is talking about. If he were talking about that, then this passage would only apply to people that live in a country where we celebrate the freedoms that we do here in America. But actually, this passage applies to any person anywhere in this world, no matter where they live. Any believer, regardless of the freedoms or the lack of freedoms that they have in their government, this passage applies to believers in Christ and is a call for us as believers to live a certain way. So just want to make sure that we understand the kind of freedom Paul is talking about in this passage. He is talking about a freedom from the burden of the law. We are free from trying to earn our salvation. God has given us a free gift of salvation. So with that being said, let's read verses 13 through 15. And as we do, we're going to find that the freedom we have in Christ should be lived out in loving service toward one another. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from God's Word. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. 
that you are not consumed by one another. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, would you speak your truths into our hearts today? Father, give us teachable spirits. Father, we thank you that we can come to your word with an expectation that if we will humble ourselves before you, that you will work in our hearts to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, that is our expectation here today. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to share with you this morning four truths concerning our freedom in Christ and how it should impact our daily lives. Four truths concerning our freedom in Christ and how it should impact our daily lives. Number one is this. God is responsible for your freedom, so he gets to define your freedom. God is responsible for your freedom, so he gets to define your freedom. Notice how Paul begins verse 13. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Talking to the church there. These men and women that belong to this church, he says, you were called to freedom. I think it's important for us to notice how Paul speaks about our freedom. It's not simply that we are free, it's that we have been called to freedom. That word called, and we've talked about it already in this, in this book, in this letter to the Galatians, that word called is a very important word in Scripture. And we find all throughout Scripture that God is the one who calls us to salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is His to give, not ours to take. And so He is the one who calls people to salvation. He calls us to freedom. He is the one who does that work. Ephesians chapter, excuse me, not Ephesians, Romans. Romans chapter 8. Verse 30, we find these words. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Who is doing all the work there? God is doing the work. God is the one who does the work for our salvation. He calls us to freedom. And he calls us by his grace. We looked at this last week, but I want us to look at these two verses one more time because they're so important. Chapter 1, verse 6, we find Paul saying these words, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then if we skip on down to verse 15, Paul referring to his own testimony of salvation, he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, whenever we... Whenever we hear that word call, that God calls us to salvation, we must also think about the word grace as well. That God's calling us to salvation is an act of grace. It's him giving us something that we don't deserve. He is the one ultimately responsible for his salvation. If he had not worked salvation in us, we never would have found freedom from the burden of the law. So he calls us to salvation. He calls us by his grace. And he calls us to belong to himself. We find these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Freedom costs. It's costly. It costs God's son his life. And him purchasing us means that he purchased us 
to belong to himself. Now, say, what in the world does all this have to do with freedom and, and, and lovingly serving one another? Listen, God does the work of setting us free. Therefore, he gets to define what we do with our freedom. God does the work of setting us free in Christ. And because he's the one responsible for it, because he's the one who called us to it, because he is the author of our freedom that we get to enjoy in Christ, he gets to set the rules for it. He gets to define it. He gets to tell us what we get to do with our freedom. We don't get to define it. We don't get to say, God, here's what I'm going to do with my freedom in Christ. He who called us gets to say, here's what you will do with your freedom in Christ. And that's important. It's important for us to start there because what God is going to call us to do with our freedom, sometimes it's not what comes natural to us. In fact, I would say, in our sinful nature, it never comes natural to us. And there's a part of us, as we will see, that will buck against what we are called to do. And so we must start with this understanding. I don't get to make the choice of what I want to do with my freedom. I don't get to make the rules for how I will live out my freedom in Christ. God is the one who gets to set the rules for that. He is the one who called us to freedom, so he gets to tell us what to do with our freedom. It's kind of like a man who walks into an orphanage, and he looks around, and he chooses a child, and he pays the price for that child, and then he adopts that child into his family, and then he takes that child home, and he lovingly shares with that child the expectations for what a member of this family, how a member of this family will live, and what a member of this family will do. And in one sense, the child has absolutely been set free from the bondage of the orphanage to enjoy all the rights and privileges of belonging to this adopted family. However, he is not free to live however he wants. The one responsible for his adoption has the right to define for him how he is to use his newfound freedom. His father sets the rules and he should obey, not to earn his father's love, Not to earn membership into this family, but because he has already been loved and already been adopted into this family. Do you remember what Paul said back in Galatians chapter 4, verse 3 through 6? In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We have been adopted into God's family. And he has done the work of adoption. He has paid the price through his son's death. And therefore, he has the right to tell us how we are to live out this freedom. But before we get to God's instructions for how to use our freedom, Paul is going to tell us how not to use our freedom. Truth number two. Truth number two about our freedom in Christ. You will be tempted to serve yourself with your freedom. You will be tempted to serve yourself with your freedom. I 
I will be tempted to serve myself with my freedom. Notice the next part here in verse 13. After he says, for you are called to freedom, brothers, he then says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Let's read that one more time. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. It's almost as if before Paul can even tell us how we are to use our freedom, he already knows what we're going to be tempted to do. He probably knows that from his own personal experience of of seeking to honor God with his life. That we will be tempted to take the freedom that God has given us and serve ourselves to indulge the flesh. We will be tempted to use it as an opportunity to serve ourselves. Paul knows that our justification before God has not completely removed the desire to serve ourselves, the desire to sin. He knows that there is a battle raging inside of us, even though we have been justified before God, even though we have been saved from our sin. Before God saves us, listen, before God saves us, we are slaves to our sinful natures, which are bent on indulging our fleshly desires. Then after God saves us, we're freed from our enslavement to sin, but we're not freed from the temptation to sin. One of the things I'm looking forward to about heaven is there will be no sin anymore. And so the temptations that we struggle with will, will be gone. But until that day comes, I am set free from sin, but every day I face the temptation to sin. Even in verses 16 and following, which we'll get to, not today. But Paul is going to talk about the battle that wages, that wages in us. It's, it's the, the battle between choosing to serve God or, or serve ourselves. The battle between the flesh and the battle uh, between serving the Spirit. Between the flesh and the Spirit. And Paul knows that although we're freed from this power of sin, every single one of us is going to struggle with the temptation to serve ourselves. The temptation to sin. Our sin nature, listen, our sin nature wants to take the good things that God has given us, and then use them for our own selfish desires. That's, that, that's, just, that's just across the board in life. The sin nature that still, still battles against God's Spirit inside of us wants to take God's blessings that He has given us and use them to serve ourselves. And that includes the blessing of freedom in Christ. And we will all face that. We face that temptation on a daily basis. And if we're not careful, we'll think that God has freed us from the power of Satan to live however we want to live. But listen to this truth. Forgiveness of sin is not a license to sin. Forgiveness of sin is not a license to sin. And believers have always struggled with this. They've always struggled with this. So Paul addresses it here. He addressed it in his, in his letter to the Romans where he says, well, should we keep on sinning so that we'll just have more and more of God's grace? So often we're tempted to say, well, God will forgive me of my sins so I can just sin as much as I want to and God will forgive that. But that's a misunderstanding of salvation. It's a misunderstanding of forgiveness. It's a misunderstanding of what Jesus did on the cross. It's a misunderstanding of freedom in Christ. God didn't save us from sin to continue in sin. He saved us from sin to belong to himself, to live holy lives, 
that would point others to his goodness and holiness. Paul, throughout this letter, has been arguing against the law as means to salvation. In other words, we're not saved by our good works, but by God's grace applied to our hearts through our faith in Jesus. But unfortunately, we can be tempted to think that because our obedience to God's law does not save us, then obedience to God's law has no place in our lives as Christians. And that's just wrong. We're tempted to throw off God's commands and think that because God and his grace will forgive us of sin, then we can sin as much as we want. We take our freedom in Christ and use it, as Paul says, as an opportunity for the flesh, an opportunity to serve ourselves, which is selfishness, which is sin. And how dare us, those of us who have believed in Christ and been rescued from sin, take the good gift of salvation that God has given us and use it as an excuse or as a license to continue in sin, the sin that he has rescued us from. God did not save us from sin to sin. He set us free from sin to live lives of holiness, lives that reflect his character, lives that imitate his great love for us. Remember, go back to truth number one, God gets to define what freedom looks like in our daily lives. And so we're not to indulge our fleshly desires with our freedom in Christ. We're not to use the freedom that we have in Christ as an opportunity to serve ourselves. Then what are we to do? What has God called us to do with the freedom he has given us? Instead of serving ourselves with our freedom, we are to serve others. We are to serve others. Truth number three this morning. God demands that you lovingly serve others with your freedom. God demands that you lovingly serve others with your freedom. I want to I walk through the rest of verse 13 and verse 14 um, by asking three questions, three simple questions. The first question is this, what do we do? What do we do with our freedom? Let's finish out verse uh, 13 and then go into verse 14. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But through love, serve one another. What do we do? We serve. That's the action that that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling us to as Christians. We use our freedom to serve others. Literally, this word in the Greek is the word for slave. Literally, he's saying, become slaves of one another, which sounds ironic, right? Because all the way up to this point in this letter, Paul's main point is that we're not slaves to the law. We're not slaves. He's he's told the Galatians, don't go back to a life of slavery. And now he's telling us to live a life of slavery. Well, has Paul lost his mind? Is he speaking out both sides of his mouth? No. We are freed from slavery to the law as a means of trying to earn our salvation so that we can become slaves to one another, serving one another with all the strength and energy that we have. Paul doesn't want the Galatians to turn back to slavery as a requirement for salvation, slavery to the law as a requirement for salvation. However, Having received this free gift of salvation by grace through faith, he tells them that they've been called to a different kind of slavery. They're to live as slaves to one another, serving one another, 
not whenever they feel like it or whenever it's convenient, but all the time, without exception, just as a slave serves his master at his master's bidding, not just whenever he wants to. You see the type of service that we are called to in our freedom in Christ. It's not a kind of service where we only do it when we want to or whenever it's easy or whenever it's comfortable or whenever it's convenient. He compares our service to that of a slave serving his master. And so we are now indebted to one another, one another, to serve each other. Well, that leads us then to the second question. What do we do? We serve. The second question, who do we serve? Who do we serve? Twice here in this passage, we find this, these two words, one word in the Greek, one another, one another. In fact, we find that, 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 that phrase, one another, seven times in the book of Galatians, starting in verse 13, all the way through chapter 6, verse 2. Six of those seven times that one another is referring to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Three times here in verses 13 through 15, we find that. And in these six times that Paul uses one another in reference to our relationship between our brothers and sisters in Christ, a couple of those times he refers to it in a positive manner, and uh, a few of those times he refers to it in a negative manner. Just to kind of get our minds around Paul's use of this one another word. He says positively that we're to love one another here in this passage. And in chapter 6, verse 2, he says that we're to bear one another's burdens. And then negatively, he says that we're not to bite and devour one another. That we would not be consumed by one another there in verse 15. And he also says in verse 26 of chapter 5 that we're not to become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul is very much concerned with our relationships in the body of Christ. All of his talk about how we as individuals can have a right standing before God, can be justified before God, has now led right into how we interact with one another in the body of Christ. Remember what we said at the beginning? Right Doctrine, right belief, leads to right living, leads to a right lifestyle. It's not enough just to believe the right things, but when we believe the right things, those right beliefs lead to right actions in our daily lives. Our salvation not only restores our relationship with God, our salvation restores relationships with one another. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that so great? That God actually gives us a salvation. He gives us this freedom in Christ that is not, it not only fixes our, our relationship between us and God, but it actually transforms our relationships with one another. So that now in the body of Christ, we reflect the love that God has shown to us. But here's just a maybe point of application, something to think about. How can we lovingly serve our brothers and sisters in Christ if we're not involved in their lives? You see, the only way for us to be obedient to what God is commanding and calling us to here in this passage is for us to be involved in one another's lives. And He has given us a place for us to do that. And that place is the church. And so someone who says, I don't need to be a member of a church, I don't need to be involved in church, 
They're actually removing themselves from the very opportunity that God has given us to be obedient to his command to serve one another. You know how difficult it will be to obey this command to lovingly serve one another if we remove ourselves from the community of faith. Not only will we not be being obedient to God's command to not neglect gathering together, we're not going to be able to obey all the one another commands that he's given us. These one another commands are to be lived out in the life of the church. But I would also add this. I don't think we should limit ourselves to serving only our fellow believers. Say, well, this person isn't a follower of Christ. This person isn't free in Christ. We're not brothers or sisters in Christ. So I don't have to lovingly serve that person. Well, I think our primary, primary place that we uh, give evidence of our salvation and our service to one another is in the context of the church. God has called us to serve all people. Even if we were to fast forward up to chapter 6, verse 10, Paul's going to say this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. He says that especially we ought to be doing good to those who are in the household of faith in the church. But we're not to limit ourselves to serving only those in the body of Christ. He says in chapter 6, verse 10, we are to do good to everyone. I think the Great Commission demands that we lovingly serve everyone, regardless of how similar or how different they are to us. How can we share the good news of Christ with someone if we're not willing to serve them in love? And we don't get to pick. We don't get to pick who our neighbor is. Notice verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what we like to do? We like to say, well, I'll serve this person because I like this person. Well, I'll serve this person because it's fun to be around this person. Well, I'll serve this person because this person serves me. Well, I'll serve this person because this person is like me. We don't get to do that. You remember, remember that story Jesus told about a man that got beat up and people passed by and the religious leaders went to the other side of the road. But then a man, a Samaritan, came by and he cared for this man who had been beaten up. What was the point of Jesus telling that story? It was because religious leaders were trying to get out of serving one another. They were trying to pick and choose who they were going to serve. And Jesus' point was, no, you serve everyone. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're a Samaritan or a Jew. It's not just people that have the same similar address as you or similar skin color as you or similar language as you or similar, similar salary as you that are our neighbors. We're to serve all people. But how? How do we serve? You know, we could say, well, I did something nice for this person, so that's serving them. But you know, if I did something kind for that person, but I only did it because I felt like I had to, and I kind of stomped my feet the whole time, just like a kid going and obeying his or her parents, but they, they stomp all the way to the bedroom to make their bed, and slam the door behind them before they clean up their toys. 
that's not really that's not really the kind of obedience that God calls us to. And sometimes we do that. Oh God, I guess I better I guess I better serve in, in, in the church. I guess I better I guess I better do something kind for this person or say something kind to them. Uh, but we don't really want to. That's not the kind of service that Paul is calling us to. Another key word in this passage is the word love. We serve through love. Only do not use your freedom, brothers, as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. I'm going to ask you a question. Where does this idea of loving service come from? Like where, 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 who thought this up? If Paul's sitting there writing this letter to the Galatians going, I better tell them some kind of something practical for their lives, you know, not just believe the right thing. So I think I'll tell them to serve one another. You know, better yet, I think I'll tell them to, to lovingly serve one another, to do it out of love. That sounds good. That's, that's, I, I'm glad I came up with this. Is Paul doing that? No, no. Where does, where does this idea of loving service come from? Of lovingly giving yourself for someone else, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. Where, who came up with that idea? Stop. God. He's the one who came up with that idea. To give yourself for the benefit of someone else. Isn't that what service means? To give yourself for the benefit of someone else and to not do it begrudgingly, but to do it out of love. The verb for love is used two times in Galatians. The verb for love is used here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know where else this verb for love is used in Galatians? Flip back to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20. Where does this idea of loving service come from? Verse 20, chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We love because he first loved us. God is the author of this kind of loving service. You know what Paul is calling us to do? He's calling us to imitate our Savior. He's calling us to imitate the one who gave himself for us. Jesus' act of love toward us was displayed in his giving himself for us. And therefore, our act of loving service towards others is to be displayed through our giving ourselves for them. We are to reflect the love that we have been shown. And that love is a sacrificial love. We were to flip over to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our service to one another is to be done out of love and it is a giving of ourselves. It is sacrificing ourselves. When was the last time you sacrificed yourself for a brother or sister in Christ? That you went out of your way. You stepped out of your comfort zone. You did something that maybe wasn't comfortable or wasn't convenient to love a brother or sister in Christ. I want to tell you that Jesus stepped out of 
his comfort zone. He did something that wasn't convenient when he came and he laid down his life for you and me. And he calls us to live with that same attitude towards one another. The cross the cross. Last week, we talked about sticking to the cross. If we want to stay the course of truth in our doctrine, we must stick to the cross. Well, guess what? If we want to stay the course of right living, we must stick to the cross. The cross is at the center of Paul's understanding of how one becomes a Christian. And it is also at the center of how one lives as a Christian. We'll only love others purely when we understand the love that God has shown us. A love completely based on His choice to love us, not our deserving His love. And so if we think, if we think we have to do something to earn God's love, here's the doctrine part. If we think we have to do something to earn God's love, we'll probably expect others to have to earn our love. However, if we understand the gospel correctly, if we believe that God's love is the complete gift of grace, then we will give our love freely to others regardless of whether or not we think they deserve it. Because Jesus gave his love to us while we were still sinners. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. And so we're compelled to serve one another because of our love for one another. And we're compelled to love one another because of our Savior's love for us. Well, fourth and finally, what happens when we don't use our freedom to lovingly serve others? Number four, we find this. You should be an instrument of life, not death, with your freedom. You should be an instrument of life, not death, with your freedom. Notice how Paul finishes out this passage. He says, but if you don't love one another, if you don't serve one another, if you don't imitate the love that Christ has shown us in your relationships with one another, Here's what's going to happen. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What happens when we don't lovingly serve one another? We end up devouring one another. Paul uses words here that would be used of an animal attack. Biting and devouring and ultimately consuming one another. In giving us freedom, God was transferring us from death to life. It only makes sense then... That we would live out this new freedom by being an instrument of life in other people's lives, not an instrument of death. That we would build one another up, not tear one another down. We are either actively loving one another or we are actively destroying one another. So just want to ask you this question before we close. Is the way that you interact with others especially, Paul says, those in the household of faith, but even those outside of the household of faith, is the way that you interact with others breathing life into them or sucking life out of them? If they could hear the way that you talk about them when they're not around, would it be a breath of life into them or would it suck the life out of them? When a brother or sister in Christ is in need, do we run to their side and lift them up? Or are we consumed with our own personal agenda, our own fleshly desires, and see our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh rather than as an opportunity to serve one another? We see our brothers and sisters in Christ in need. Do we lift them up or are we tearing them down by refusing not to lovingly serve them? 
faith that saves is not a faith in works, but it is a faith that works. Remember what Paul said in chapter 3, verse number 6? What is the thing that matters? Faith working through love. Listen, Christian, don't think that just because you don't have to work to earn your salvation, don't think that that means that you're not called to live a life full of good works towards one another. We just have to get the good works in the right place. God saves us by His grace. And then He calls us, demands of us, that we live a life of good works, lovingly serving one another. Are you serving one another? Are you doing it out of love? Do you see your freedom in Christ as an opportunity to give yourself away for the good of others? Or do you see the freedom that you have in Christ as an opportunity to do whatever you want to do? You and I are not the authors of our freedom. So we don't get to set the rules for it. God is the author of our freedom. He gets to set the rules for it. You say, well, it's hard. It is hard sometimes to lovingly serve others. It's not always easy. It's not always convenient. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Today, maybe you've been convicted of not serving one another. Even, even today, maybe you've even thought about someone in our church family, or maybe even outside of our church family, who you said, you know what, I have, I have not been serving this person, even though God has given me an opportunity to do that. Here's, here's my encouragement for you. Don't leave just going, I'm going to do a better job of serving my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do a better job. Don't trust in yourself to be able to do a better job. Allow God's Spirit in you to point you back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because anytime we find ourselves not lovingly serving those around us, I can guarantee you 100% of the time, we have taken our eyes off of the cross. And we have forgotten how much Jesus has lovingly served us. But the more we bask in the glory of the cross, the more we fix our eyes upon Jesus hanging there, broken body, blood poured out, us rebelling against Him, offering Himself freely, all the way to the point of death, so that we could have life breathed back into us. When we keep that before our eyes, you know what happens in our lives? We jump at the opportunity to lovingly serve others. We jump. We get excited at the opportunity to give ourselves for others. We don't say, oh man, I guess I better do this. We say, yes, here's an opportunity for me to get to reflect the love that God has shown me through His Son. We close today. We're going to spend just a few moments remembering the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what I want us to be in prayer about as we do. God, as I remember the great love that you have shown me, help me to show this same love to 
other people. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Speak into our hearts as we take an opportunity to reflect on Your Word. We take an opportunity to remember the sacrifice of Christ. Father, help us to realize the freedom we have is not a freedom that allows us just to live however we want to live, to live for our own selfish desires. But Father, You have called us to lay down our lives in service to one another. Help us to do that as we remember how You laid down Your life for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.